Hey there, and welcome to the Unlikely Artist Podcast, where I'll teach you how to gain the freedom you need to become who you want, instead of who you've been telling yourself you need to be. I'm Heather Kerr. I went from international tax to art and coaching because those are the things I've been yearning to do. Listen in to find out how you can start doing what you love to in slow, easy steps each week. Let's dive in now. Welcome back, Savvy Soul. So today I'm going to share with you a simple kind of process that can make what I think will be a big difference in your life if you tend towards self-criticism. So last year, I was doing my tax returns at the latest possible moment. And the reason was I was avoiding it because I hadn't met my financial goals the year before. I'd spent heavily on my business and I hadn't earned the revenues I'd been hoping for. And at the end of the day, I was making it mean bad things about myself. I was feeling highly self-critical about it. And I was avoiding coming face to face with the actual results which would happen when I did my returns. And it got me thinking this making the fact that I hadn't met my financial goals mean something bad about me. It got me thinking about the fact was in all the years I'd been very successful financially, I didn't make my financial success mean anything amazing about me, but yet I was making not meeting my financial goals mean something terrible about me. I'm going to talk more about that process and what happened as a result in a way that's useful to you. So Savvy Souls, we can look at pretty much any collection of facts about ourselves and feel like we're not good enough, that we're not measuring up, we're not where we want to be. And that can spring us into a ferocious sense of striving, trying to get where we need to be, need in quotes, like where we think we need to be, trying to be better, trying to be more successful, more beautiful, more evolved, more something, not where we are now. When I finally did my tax returns, it was, okay, this is where I'm now. This is what I spent. This is what I earned. This is what worked. This is what didn't work. Before I looked, I was mostly afraid of the self-judgments that would spring up. When I finally looked, even though the numbers weren't what I wanted, they just became data. They became neutral. It was, oh, here I am now. Now I know what I'm working with. Even though the numbers weren't what I wanted, I felt a surprising and enormous sense of relief flooding through me, an acceptance of where I am right now, a feeling of this is where I am right now, and that's okay. This experience switched on something in me. It was a heightened sense of awareness of my own self-criticisms, which have always been present, of how meeting my financial objectives or even wildly exceeding them, never actually produced happiness 
because goals really aren't a good proxy for happiness. Have you noticed there's a common experience of achieving a big goal and then fairly quickly feeling depressed or exceptionally sad or discontented or drained or unmotivated? We call that feeling let down. I think it's pretty common. If you look back over your life, you'll probably notice that. I see it a lot in the coaching world where I know a lot of successful coaches and they share their thoughts and feelings very readily. I also saw it a lot in the legal world where I used to work. There was almost a negative correlation between success and general well-being. There was a pervasive discontent that affected a large proportion of my accomplished colleagues. People who had risen the ranks and made it were perpetually discontented. I think that happens because no matter what any of us achieve, we'd decide it wasn't enough. There was always someone else doing better, who earned more, was more well-known, had an easier time attracting clients, or knew more. I know each time I won a big account or got a big promotion or made more money, I'd feel momentarily accomplished, but pretty soon I'd be striving to be better in some way or worried about not being as good the next year. My experience last year with my tax returns had me noticing that I was treating most of my efforts this way. I was regularly telling myself, that wasn't good enough. You need to do better or you need to, like whatever, finish that sentence. I was withholding praise and dishing out criticisms with abandon. Savvy souls, I bet you can relate to this. The truth is most of us have self-critical brains that love to dish out judgments about all the things we're doing wrong. The voices in our heads can be downright mean. We say things to ourselves that we'd never to say to some somebody else. That voice in our head loves to tell us all the things we're doing wrong, all the ways we need to improve, all the ways we need to be better. Why do we do this to ourselves? I think embedded in our culture is the idea that criticism is what fuels our growth. I know that that's what my dad used to explicitly tell me, that he criticized us as kids so much because he felt as an educator that that would fuel our growth. And I think he was just reflecting a common view at the time. I think as a result of that, we worried that if we were actually okay with where we are now, if we ever thought we were good enough now, our personal evolution, our growth would stop. We'd probably sit on the couch and eat potato chips and watch Netflix all day. In other words, we think that scarcity, and by scarcity, I mean the idea that we don't have enough or we aren't good enough, there's something that's not enough, that scarcity is what fuels our growth. That we only make an effort if we feel like we need to improve. And guess what? It's not true. It feels true, but it's not correct. In the coaching world, one thing we offer our clients is help with their mindset, 
I found this approach that I'm going to share with you very helpful, not just for my clients, but for myself. So different coaches come from different schools and use different tools, methodologies, but most of us teach our clients something like this as part of what we do when we help them. So let's say there's a situation in my case, in my school, we call that a circumstance. So there's a circumstance that our client is dealing with something that's bothering them something about their husband, something about their work life, something about their home life, anything, a circumstance, some facts that are true in their life. And then our client has thoughts about the circumstance. They think something about that circumstance. So no matter what the circumstances are, the client could be thinking about it in a variety of ways whatever she's choosing to think about the circumstance is what causes her to feel motivated or content or discouraged or happy or whatever. Gives her some kind of emotion, how she's thinking about the circumstance. And that feeling propels her to respond to the circumstance with specific actions or by not taking action at all, by turtling. And the client's actions, in turn, lead to her results. So let's take a look at an example that uses self-criticism in it. So let's say you gave a speech, and your speech didn't get the audience response that you'd hoped for. And your thought is, I did a terrible job. I really messed that up. Your feeling, if that's what you're thinking, I did a terrible job and I really messed that up, would be something like embarrassed or discouraged or disappointed or defeated. And when you're feeling that way, when you're feeling embarrassed or discouraged or disappointed or defeated, you're not going to be very keen on giving another speech. You're going to want to avoid doing that. It's going to feel dangerous. That's because the feelings of being embarrassed or disappointed, discouraged, or defeated are not energizing feelings. Those kind of feelings don't motivate you to take constructive action. The self-criticisms aren't helpful or productive. They actually stop you from taking action that you might otherwise. It would be totally different after the speech if you didn't launch into a series of self-criticisms. If you started with a thought, something like, I didn't get the reception I wanted to that speech, and that's okay. Now, you might want to argue with me here, jump in and object, but that wouldn't be okay. Argue that if I think my speech was okay, I'm not going to be inspired to make it better, to make changes, to do better next time. So that's actually why I'm giving you this example, because I'm not suggesting that you tell yourself the speech was okay. What I'm asking you to consider is acknowledging that it's okay to give a speech and not get the reception you want. In other words, you make it okay for you to try things and not do well, to not get the reception to a speech you want, to not get the financial result you want, to not get hired for the job you want, to not get in shape as quickly as you want, 
to not get the date you want. In other words, you make it okay for you to be a human, someone who tries things and doesn't always get the results she wants. Someone who sometimes says or does the wrong thing. Someone who struggles to overcome a bad habit. Contrary to what you might think, it's okay for you to be compassionate with yourself, to treat you the way you would a treasured friend or your kid. Let's go back to the example of giving a speech where you don't get the reaction to hope for. What happens when you think, I didn't get the reception to the speech I wanted, and that's okay. If you think that way, the and that's okay at the end will most likely help you feel a sense of relief. Oh, it's okay. I don't have to be embarrassed about this. You might feel a sense of acceptance. It's okay to try things and not do well. Telling yourself, and that's okay, helps you build resilience, which makes it more likely you'll be willing to give a speech again or to ask someone out again or to continue with your diet the next day after you've cheated on it. If we tell ourselves it's okay when we don't succeed, it's not going to make us lazy. It will make it feel safer to try something again, to keep going, to work out the bumps, to fix something that's not working and try again, to learn as we go. The acceptance we feel when we acknowledge a circumstance that we don't like and add, and that's okay, helps us move through difficult circumstances quickly. It helps us to re-energize and refuel more quickly. It helps us to move on to something new and to try again. Plus, it's a highly practical way to think about things, to reset your mindset in a believable and useful way. That's one thing it's really important to be careful about in mindset work, to not practice empty affirmations or things that you don't believe, because that will just have you feeling in a contrary way that's not helpful, because you're not going to believe uh, affirmations if they don't make sense to you. So if you add and that's okay to your thought about whatever's happened, you won't spend pointless time fighting reality. Whatever has happened is in the past. It's a fact you can't change. Trying to resist that is a waste of your time. As Byron Katie, she's the woman who created, uh, I don't know, three decades ago, this really useful self-help tool called The Work which you can Google and investigate later. It's kind of unrelated to this, but it's really, really useful and it's available for free. So I'll, I'll put a note about that in the show notes here. Anyway, as Byron Katie said, when you argue with reality, you lose only 100% of the time. So whenever you're thinking about the past and you argue with the past, the past is the reality. It's facts that happened. And when you argue with it, you'll always lose. If you're thinking, I did this or that happened, and that's not okay, you're always arguing with reality. And it's a pointless argument. It did happen. And you can't argue 
and make it go away. But when you say, and that's okay, you're accepting reality and you're moving forward cleanly with the practical acceptance of where you're at. You can make clean decisions about what you want to do next, what you want to try next. You're focused on what you can control, how you think, how you feel, and how you act today. You're more able to focus on what you want to do now when you're not beating yourself up about what you've done in the past, but just focused on the best decision now. And it also makes you a lot more likely to be real about what happened, to not tell yourself, oh, I did make a great speech. It was well-received. I need to think about all the ways it was well-received. If the audience was flat, you can acknowledge that. You can acknowledge a result you didn't want and be okay with it. You say, and that's okay. And you start feeling that acceptance of what happened. So for me, this experience I had with my tax returns, and especially with the relief I felt, just finding out the facts, accepting them, and starting from there has been tremendously liberating for me. When I make decisions knowing that I'm not going to beat myself up, I'm not going to launch into more self-criticisms. I'm just going to do the next thing I want to do that I want to try to do. I'm finding a greater flexibility to make decisions, to try new things, to do things differently in a way that works better for me to explore. Last year, with more intentional self-compassion, I felt brave enough to switch my painting style change my coaching practice in a way that works better for me, reconstruct my work week, post differently, start to make new friends, and overall live more the way I want to. So savvy souls, my advice this week is very simple. First, notice it when self-criticisms pop up for you. You might find that this happens regularly, multiple times a day, good to know. Ask your brain, to be alert for them. It's like in the famous example, I'm sure you've repeated here many times. If you tell your brain to notice a red car, when you're driving, you'll see red cars everywhere. You're going to notice them. If you don't intentionally try to notice them, you won't be able to say at the end of a journey, whether you passed any red cars on the road. So it's the same thing. Deliberately tell your brain, Hey, I'm going to notice it whenever I'm I'm criticizing myself. I'm going to be on the alert for that and and to notice it and to stop when I do. Each time you notice a self-critical thought, I want you to stop and say to yourself, oh, we don't do that anymore. In other words, we don't launch into self-criticisms anymore. And then... I want you to acknowledge the actual fact you're feeling self-critical about. So acknowledge the reality of the situation very dispassionately, very neutral, neutrally. What are the actual facts? Like in my tax return example, just acknowledge what I spent, what I earned, what it ended up being for the year and say, and that's okay. I blurted that out at the party and that's okay. I tried to invite some friends over and they didn't come and that's okay. I asked for a promotion and I didn't get it and that's okay. Pause and feel the self-acceptance of that. That's okay. 
And then once you're in that place of self-acceptance, decide what to do next from that place of being okay with being a human. See you next week, Savvy Souls. I love you in all your humanity. I love you especially because of your humanity. See you next time. Bye now. So if you're energized by the possibilities you're hearing about on this podcast, but you're wondering how it's possible to actually make what you've been fantasizing about doing actually happen, I'd love you to join me for a free strategy session where we'll talk about coaching together. We'll explore how you can start making what you want possible by taking small, easy steps that add up to something amazing. Just click on the link in the show notes below this episode to book your free call. I'd love to meet you live. And all my listeners, remember, it's finally your time to do what you want.